This is Christine Blake, the host of Inside the Media Minds, and today we have a very special episode. We have three guests in the studio for a unique roundtable discussion to talk about the JEDI contract. So welcome to Ross Wilkers from Washington Technology, Frank Conkle from NextGov, and Carton Cordell from the Washington Business Journal. So all three reporters have been covering this topic for years, have looked at it through different lenses, and all bring a unique perspective to the table. So before we jump in, the JEDI contract is the Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure Contract intended to modernize the computing structure and provide the Pentagon with cloud services all the way from basic storage and power to artificial intelligence processing, machine learning, and the ability to process mission-critical workloads. It's been a very dramatic storyline so far with huge players involved, setting up a showdown between Amazon, Microsoft, IBM, Google, Oracle, so much so that a few hours after we wrapped the podcast, news broke that Amazon Web Services plans to protest the Pentagon's decision to award the JEDI contract to Microsoft. Since this happened a couple hours after the podcast, we actually don't address it, but it's just another proof point to the ongoing saga of JEDI. Let's jump into the conversation and enjoy the podcast. Whoever wants to start, maybe Frank, if you want to give us a quick overview from your perspective. There's so many aspects of this story. Can you just give a quick evolution of everything from when it started to where we are now with the news of Microsoft? Sure. Thanks. Um, well, it goes back about two years now. And I think of JEDI as sort of uh, bringing the Defense Department and military branches into the 21st century with regards to communications and general technology um, as it stands. So this sort of impetus for JEDI was uh, late, mid to late 2017, a, a West Coast visit by then Secretary Mattis uh, to uh, a couple of companies' headquarters, including Google and Amazon. Uh, they met with a lot of folks and came back with some ideas. There was um, sort of the, the brainchild uh, came out of some folks from the Defense Digital Service to put together a, a RFI, Request for Information, for this cloud platform. And I think the goal right up front uh, was the interconnected communication um, of all the, the branches and departments over time so that just like... Netflix and these companies do now, they can update their uh, infrastructures uh, instantaneously when there are security patches available and communicate anywhere in the world through a global fabric. And they definitely do not have that now. They didn't have that then. And it will take some years before they eventually get to that if they ever get to it. Um, the, the last couple of years and how we've covered this has really been a infighting in a battle uh, on two fronts to win that contract um, waged by uh, folks for the companies that were bidding on it, um, lobbying groups. And so you had a public uh, information, disinformation campaign. You had a sort of behind-the-scenes campaign to sort of sway influence. You had also the judicial branch involved with several pr protests uh, from companies that were vying for that contract, uh, but ultimately ends up um, this past month. We're in November, right? So mid-November. Uh, mid so, you know, last month they awarded 
um, Jedi to Microsoft, who was an underdog, considered an underdog for that contract, although it does have a significant footprint in the Defense Department has for 30, going on 40 years now. Um, where we go from here, who knows? We haven't seen a protest yet from Amazon, the, the losing company who had its bid um, viewed by DOD. There were two other companies, too, um, that that had their bids in there but didn't uh, make the cut. That was IBM and Oracle. Uh, but we're sort of waiting to see uh, what happens next before there's an implementation period. There could be a protest. There could be legal action. There probably will be a budget fight even in Congress um, for appropriated funds for that contract. There's a lot of stuff that could still happen. So how did each of you cover this story? Um, Ross, why don't you go ahead and start? It's a mix of a little bit of the blow-by-blow. You couldn't look away from the daily statements from IBM, Oracle, saying why they wanted to win this contract and why the Defense Department wasn't pursuing the acquisition strategy the right way in the way they were doing it, going to a single vendor, essentially making this contract a winner-take-all versus doing one with one with multiple awards. And we've also, at WT, tried to take a step back from that at times also and take a look at the long view of the implications. Okay, there's on one part, there's the rate of adoption to which Frank was talking about. You know, how fast is this Jedi thing going to come online? But there's also implications for the other commercial cloud providers Right, and how the and how the market landscape resets there. So that's one piece of it on the market business side. The other side of it is there's the the tried and true government IT companies and the systems integrators because they were essentially locked out from the beginning from winning this contract. There was actually a line in the solicitation to determine who could and could not bid on the contract, and it and and then trying to paraphrase here, it essentially said you cannot have more than half of your business from federal government contracts. So right from the outset, if you were one of the tier one government companies like a General Dynamics, a Lidos, or a CCI, you could not essentially win it as a prime. You had to sit on the sidelines and wait Mm -hmm. to see which one of the commercial providers would win. So for all the consternation about who the contract may have been tailored for, whether it was to particular vendor or not. It was tailored to the commercial providers, essentially. I think that's that's absolutely a huge, a huge point. One of the reasons this was such a unique contract was because of what Ross just said. It was tailored toward the commercial vendors, not the systems integrators that have been doing this kind of work for 40 or 50 years. And it pissed a lot of people off in that traditional landscape and there was an immediate blowback that you saw translate into sort of information warfare among these sort of standard uh, tried and true contractors versus the Googles and the Amazons of the world that are sort of encroaching on this new market of defense business that they previously stayed away from. Amazon does have more of a footprint in DOD than people think. They're uh, sort of a behemoth in the defense market when it comes to cloud, and they're widely used. Microsoft played this a lot more um, because they're almost both. They they played it safe, didn't talk a lot about this, and just sort of 
you know, benefited from the, the delays to sort of swoop in at the end and, and take it. But I thought one of the initial things was just the blowback um, from the traditional Beltway contractors. Through the, primarily through the trade associations. Trade associations. Which, which the trade group said, we want more information and we want to understand this better, which if you read between the lines, they're saying, we don't really like this. Yeah, they didn't like it. Well, I was sort of the newbie of the group. I covered a lot of the civilian cloud adoption, uh, especially from the agency perspective. Um, and then coming to this at WBJ, we looked at it a lot from the, the industry side. Uh, you know, We're in the midst of a big digital transformation right now. The federal government is adopting cloud. Uh, slowly, but, you know, hand over fist. And so when you look at some of the size of these contracts, the, the, they're quite big. It leads to a lot of competition going around. And uh, there are no bigger contracts in the DOD and then also the intelligence community, which sort of has its roots in this debate because AWS became a big federal cloud contractor because they won the uh, C2S contract with the uh, intelligence community back in 2013. So that sort of was their splash on the scene. Um, what we saw was, I mean, an ongoing debate over whether the single vendor approach and the security aspects of that would be beneficial versus the open architecture, multi-plugin uh, debate, which benefits a multi-vendor universe. Um, and the thing that really struck me about this competition is that whenever you thought you knew where it was going, then there would be a twist that would okay. take it in a completely different direction. And it almost became kind of Jedi Friday every day. Jedi uh, Friday? Yeah, yeah. Everything, <laughs> like that. You, you look at, you know... Friday at 4.05 p.m. Oh, yeah. after... The stock exchange bell rings. Right. Whenever you were doing something else, yeah. that's when a break was going to happen. But yeah, typically on a Friday, court decisions, obviously the award itself, right before the World Series game, you know, In it DC. was. Yeah, exactly. Well, Everything I was, was playing basketball. Oh. My phone started blowing up. I was <laughs> yeah. very not happy about that. I just put the kids down. Yeah. Just put the kids <laughs> down. Relax. We have yeah. very different lives. Too, you know? <laughs> yeah, very much. So, yeah. You were such a mature adult. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Just, just to underline, if you take a step back and, you know, throwing all these tech trends around and acronyms, let's think about the fundamental nature of what JEDI is going to be, to Frank's earlier point. The U.S. military is acquiring commercial technology to be used in combat, right? Let, let's let that sink in mm-hmm. for a second. A this, this isn't... This isn't acquiring and using cloud hosting to store uh, what like stuff for the internal business operations, like you know logistics and financial management data. To which a lot of agencies say, "Well, duh, there's so much data. We should put that in the cloud." Once you introduce this element of, "Okay, we're using commercial cloud for use in combat," what does that mean? Security and security and security and who has the scale to provide that kind of technology. The future of warfighting, I think, is a <clears throat> that's like a key thing to bring up because Tactical Edge was in the RFP all over the place. And so they wanted something that could be deployed um, when there's no broadband internet available, when troops are in the middle of nowhere, that spins up, sends information and collects data, you know, gets it to where it has to go when it does have connectivity. Those are things that, again, they, they don't do well now. And so 
in the near future, in the next couple of years, it'll be interesting to see. We can talk about this later. I think it'll be very interesting to see the buy-in that it gets across the branches. I know part of the RFP requires a marketing campaign from the winner to evangelize this contract to the military. So you can imagine there will be, assuming it stays with Microsoft, a large um, effort around you know, if, if people don't know what Jedi is, they need to know what it is, and then they need to know how it helps them, as Ross said, on the, on the front lines. I want to go back to one thing, too. When we started covering this, it was just like a big $10 billion contract. That was the number that got tossed around a lot. And it started, started out as like some cool big thing. And I remember looking at the first draft RFP, and there were words like nuclear secrets. It had to be able to store nuclear secrets. You had to have a, a L clearance and I didn't even know what an L clearance was and a Q level clearance. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know any companies that had them and then come to find out you only get those if you're allowed in nuclear facilities and have access to to like nuclear missiles. So very odd stuff. And then so the wolf the wolf factor, the wow factor, I thought was that was cool at first. And then the the last year or so, guys, we probably saw a lot of push on AI the Jake, the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center from the Pentagon. Um, you had officials coming out from the DOD saying, hey, we need this enterprise cloud platform. Three-star generals in military uniforms came out and said, we need this technology. And it's not like people in suits are coming out and saying that. when Because you were front and center with it probably more so than Carmen and I. When they tried somebody out in uniform to say we need this it it makes you look at it through a completely different lens yeah they were trying to explain what it would actually do and why they needed it making their case in between periods where there were legal actions going on that prohibited them from speaking about it this fabric will sort of connect all these next generation programs the military has together and that includes multi-billion dollar contracts in the near future for next-generation combat vehicles, for example. Um, there are several of those contracts that could total near $100 billion in the next five years or so. Those will be futuristic vehicles, unlike what we have today, that don't have sensors, that don't send data instantaneously, that don't tell manufacturers when they need updates. Those sorts of things will be addressed. And then you have the crazier stuff in the maybe the near future. Who knows how long it will take? But... Uh, drones, um, other other robotic vehicles that may or may not need people to make decisions, all those have to have some kind of connection. And I assume Jedi is where the bulk of that work will go. The, the stuff that makes these next generation military missions work will go. And the simplest way to really say it is the military for a while will run on Microsoft. That's just a fact. And you know, there will be future cloud contracts. I look at Jedi in a very similar fashion to, as Carton mentioned, C2S, which was almost a pilot for the IC. So all the intelligence agencies use the C2S cloud that Amazon built as a way to collect and analyze intelligence information, right? Um, they're now expanding that um, to open it up for multiple companies to compete. And they've said... They want that contract to be worth tens of billions of dollars. Now, Jedi may or may not ever get to the $10 billion ceiling it has, 
but one can imagine in probably not too long, in the you know, five to ten years, they'll do the same thing the, the CIA and other agencies did, opening it up to a lot of providers, bringing in even more uh, commercial companies. Who knows what that landscape will look like in a few years? Ross, maybe you'll know. Uh, but it, you know, eventually the whole DOD is going to run on the cloud. That's just the way it is. Well, and bringing it to that point, uh, it, maybe not even in the future, but within the right now, I was watching an F-35 uh, House hearing yesterday where they were talking about the challenges of getting data out of that fighter in terms of logistics, in terms of parts, in terms of how it's performing, and having choke points because the network settings weren't correct. And the logistic system that Lockheed and the DOD are using to monitor those fighters. Ellen Lord said, I think the next version of that needs to go to government cloud. Well, there's Jedi. You know, that's going to be the sticking point for all kinds of things like predictive maintenance in terms of saving money and keeping those current systems and then the future systems, like you said, the interconnected, uh, you know, vehicles, those are all going to have to have an undergirded foundation to transmit that data, and Jedi is going to be the starting point for it. The world is defined by software, and the world runs on commercial cloud. Yeah. No, I think you guys did a really good job summarizing the importance of it and a lot of the reason why there was so much drama and controversy around it. Um, so let's talk about the fight and the fact that, okay, Microsoft got awarded this contract. What happens now? What are the ramifications? What's the protest? What's going on now? Any one of you can kick well, this one off. <laughs> Oracle is, has lost at Government Accountability Office, which is the first forum you go to for a bid protest. Oracle did not like it. They went to the court of the federal claims court to take their grievances there. The court said, you don't have a case. Oracle didn't like that. And now they're at the next forum, which is the court of federal appeals for the federal circuit. I think I got that description right but anyway so they the, the the one thing that jumps off the page though the most to me and oracle's appeal is we're what two weeks out from when they chose microsoft for the contract oracle's appeal essentially stops in april of 2019 after there was an internal review inside the Pentagon to make sure that everything was up to speed and there was no nefarious activity or nobody was making a also a mistake in the acquisition. So Oracle is keeping up this fight and saying that the contract was essentially biased toward Amazon. They left out in the appeal that Microsoft has won the contract. So what is Oracle doing? I don't know. They're not really they not they're not really talking. My sense is that Oracle is still quibbling with this single vendor approach and the requirements that the Defense Department had. You had to have this certification. You had to pass this gate to be eligible, and Oracle still quibbles with that. Well, and that's the the thing about this whole case is that the narrative was so geared towards – this being favored toward Amazon. All the arguments for pre-award protests were, this is all Amazon. Uh, All of our coverage was speculating that if Amazon won, there would be an immediate protest. So with the Microsoft award, it completely reset the table. And so now everybody thinks, 
well, AWS is going to protest, which is not a, a foregone conclusion at this point. And as Ross said, that Oracle appeal is still out there. But at this point, it's really just the philosophical debate that has been going on since the beginning of this is single vendor versus multi-vendor. And I don't know how many legs that has left in it, but it's really kind of the only thread against it, Microsoft. It, it was really – the the one thing that yeah, has been really confusing – well, let's back up. It, it looks like from afar because of the different aspects we talked about of you know what the U.S. military is trying to do with Jedi. It looks like they've made a pretty compelling, at least reasonable, but probably a compelling case of why they need commercial cloud technology. And as far as their argument on the Pentagon side for why they need it, they seem to have won that debate, argument, PR campaign on – just about all of the fronts, except the single award approach. They're still questioning that. You hear the trade groups still wondering why they're doing this approach. I think to uh, what you guys said about the ongoing protest and maybe possible protest if Amazon decides they want to do something um, are interesting. But they were probably predictable. Everyone when a, a contract of that value gets put out and there's even any controversy about it, you can imagine there's going to be bid protests. Bid protests happen all the time. There are literally thousands of them. I think GAO just released its last report and there was 20-some hundred bid protests over the past year. And that was actually a decrease from previous years. So protests happen a lot. It's almost a staple of federal contracting. And most companies, or not companies, excuse me, most uh, agencies actually bake those in those times they expect that contracts are going to get protested. So we could have imagined that would have happened. But I think what was more interesting to me, and I think that we had fun telling these stories to our readers, was the crazy shit that was happening behind the scenes as the contract, when news of the, first con- of the contract first came out. And I remember we did a, a piece last year and it just got a Foley Award, so I want to, I want to pimp nextgov.com. You can check on our Jedi reporting. But we actually were, were given a dossier at a, a happy hour event by these dudes in suits who were passing them out. And it had – it was like – I have it. It's like 80 pages long or something like that. And it's filled with these scandalous allegations about – Amazon and these third-party companies and actual, you know, affairs and all this nefarious-type sounding stuff. Eventually, that dossier, most of that information made it into uh, bid protests filed by Oracle and their federal lawsuit that eventually um, was was uh, ruled against in court. There are there are fingerprints, and because we're on an open mic, that's all I'll say about it. But please. Continue. I thought that was a fascinating uh, thing. So there was a there was an influence campaign behind the scenes to, and, and by the way, that information from that dossier made it to several congressmen that we we talked with, congressmen and women, um, who have roles either in appropriations committees or in the House Armed Services and Armed Services committees. And I, I we said it then, and I, I believe the goal was to get. Trump involved, and that happened. Um, now, we 
there are a lot of un there are sort of some unproven ways unproven it's unproven how exactly that campaign began. We were given that dossier by a firm called Rosetti Star, which does this kind of odd uh, off the books detective work. I guess is the best way I would describe it. And you know they gave they they actually identified themselves and gave this stuff out. We weren't the only reporters to get it, uh, but. Those allegations made their way around town and out of town, and there were stories um, that talked about them in a not um, scrupulous light. In other words, they weren't vetted very well. They were given to reporters, a lot of reporters who had no experience in this market. I imagine if uh, Roster Carden would have gotten them, they would have actually known that a lot of the stuff needed to be vetted before you print it. But uh, some reporters didn't, including, I think, Vanity Fair, who had a, a story that I thought was crazy, um, that they just printed this stuff verbatim. The allegations yeah. didn't make, in the, within the context of federal IT procurement, yes, I know how wonky that phrase, just as I'm religious, consider it. within the context of federal IT procurement, such as this, some of the allegations just didn't make sense. Like you could, you could. I mean, I never, unfortunately, saw this eighty-page thing of cartoonish time you can have stuff. stuff. <laughs> but, but, but in the stories that, in the stories that came out, where you know it was cryptically, not so cryptically mentioned, so these allegations, you, you could just look at that for those of us in this market and go, well, is that really how federal tech procurement works and lobbying? Like, I think some of it. Some of it's common, but it's more common in, in gigantic defense contracts like the F-35, those types of contracts. It was here to – previously, I don't think Cardin alluded to this. There's not a lot of federal IG contracts that get sexy. No. You know, We write about this stuff all the time, and, and there's never been one like this, and there's never been one the president's tweeted about. And I thought that was the goal of this campaign, and it succeeded in that regard. In fact, Trump – Put a, put a hold on it, essentially. He said he wanted a review not too many months ago. And then Defense Secretary Esper, in his uh, role, actually did do that review. All of this ended up benefiting Microsoft, by the way. It is a clear fact because initially when the RFI came out, the date to award this contract was actually October of 18. We are in November of 19. And the contract stipulated that you had to be able to store top secret and secret information within 270 days of the award, which it's more than 270 days after initially would have awarded it. There's no way – and Microsoft still has not quite, uh, quite uh, attained those levels of requirements. So they would not, they would not have been able to win. So the, the delays that occurred through court and through holding this contract up actually really did, uh, in the end – help Microsoft and Oracle is a partner of them um, and could stand to make some money off of this contract. So in a way, and indirectly help them too. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, the thing that will always stick with me about this was, I mean, there was a lot of smoke and a lot of allegations, but I just all of the different threads that may or may not have had a tie. You had people that pointing to Oracle as a major contributor to the Trump campaign. So that made Trump look like he was in the Oracle basket. And then you had, you know, allegations against Mattis and AWS, and you had the allegations that were made about former DOD officials and taking jobs with AWS. 
to give you a, a, for instance, in terms of the government cloud market, we just had recently the 7.6 million or sorry, 7.6 billion DOS uh, cloud contract. That's Office Solutions for the Department of Defense. That is also under protest. That is also not a so- small sum of money. But the controversy behind that is not even one-tenth as much as what we saw in the scrutiny of this, this contract. Be- because when one government, in the case of, so from the outset, what we talked about, right, Jedi was specifically tailor-made for the commercial cloud infrastructure providers to win. Only they could bid on it because of the way it's written. The DOS you know, contract, email, calendaring, and other commodity, low-hanging fruit, things essentially, that's being competed among government contractors. And when one big systems integrator protests another, it's kind of kind of business as usual in, a, in an extent. And most of the time with these bid protests, it's just so you can get more information for competitive intelligence purposes. The vast majority of them never actually make it all the way to a ruling. And with DOS, it just it is worth mentioning that Microsoft is uh, its Office 365 suite is the main uh, offering in both of the company's bids who are vying for it. So Microsoft really was able to capture a sort of uh, I don't know what you call it. They just had a bang up last couple of months, I guess, as as I would say. Um, but yeah, I, I think that one thing that is evident though is that. Contracting in the U.S. government, especially regarding the Defense Department and important military investments in technology, are are suffering. I think if you look at China and you look at Russia and other adversaries, they're able to, uh, because they're authoritarian regimes, they can just do whatever they want to do, right? They pick a cloud provider and go with it. There's, there's no blowback or two years. It took two years to get this thing, and Jedi's going to take a couple of years to get off the ground. And it was never supposed to be this controversial. Mm-hmm. Never. And so I think that is something that I hope lawmakers and, and the current and future administrations address because it, it's, it was actually a bit disheartening toward the end to just watch this lag and linger on and on and on when you know part of the reason they're trying to do it is to improve their cybersecurity posture across the branches. I mean, this stuff is going to affect soldiers directly, as we said, and it's taking them years to get this off the ground, even get to a basic level where we, where we think commercial companies are at. So that, yeah, that was pretty crappy watching that. When will it be off the ground? Is it a couple of years? Like, do you think the do you think that the coverage that you guys are doing is going to continue, the, like, the, the, to develop? The adoption, trying to independent of the sort of the funding fight in Congress, which Conkle over here is probably going to watch a lot closer <laughs> than us because we're, we're Garden and I are just following the money and who's trying to cash in on sure. this. But that that's just as important when you have publicly traded companies and investors that want a piece of the action, and they've all been talking about it recently. The rate of adoption is going to be fascinating to watch because, and putting my former budget and defense analyst hat on, the history of military acquisition tells us that getting all of the military service branches and agencies to do the same thing, that's a pretty tall order. They all Historically, the culture says we all want to do our own thing and acquire things our own way. 
convention, the F-35, that was supposed to be a standard plane across the service branch. It was all supposed to be the same thing. They're not all the same thing. There are three different variants of it. And then I realized comparing the F-35 to that IT contract, such as JEDI, some may think that's a stretch, but it's going to be used for combat. And so eventually those things are going to be interconnected. When, as Ross said, this for us and on the industry side of it, we'll be on to the next elephant. Um, And that will be the intelligence community's C2E contract, which Frank mentioned is just going to be multi-vendor. That's going to be a battle as well because um, you're weighing multiple capabilities. You're weighing those same security aspects. And if you didn't win Jedi, you're going to damn sure be out for this contract. Yeah, try a little harder to win this one. Yeah. So. Interesting. I think uh, it'll be interesting to to see how it unfolds. I there will be a, a large campaign to get branches and program managers to migrate their data. They're going to have to figure out the the most seamless ways to do that. In terms of what we know will happen, we know there's a million dollars guaranteed for the winner of Jedi, and then the Defense Department has estimated allocated. Uh, a little over $200 million over the first two years for Jedi, which is actually a lot less than I would have thought. And I don't think Jedi will end up being as big of a deal as maybe I thought it would have been two years ago. And I think it would be unlikely that it will reach anywhere near its $10 billion ceiling at this Mm -hmm. point. The low amount of funding for the first couple of years suggests they know how hard it will be to get off the ground and build this thing. And then change management... Uh, migration of applications in the DOD are some some as old as 40 years old. Um, how will those play? They may not. And uh, it will also call for reworking of all new applications too. It would be a gigantic effort. There'll be a lot of human capital invested in that. I do think one other thing that will be good though is your cloud natives, your, your technologists across, especially in the Valley and other places, the, the Googlers of the world, if you will, the government's had a really hard time attracting those types of folks to work for it. Nobody wants to sit in front of a, a shitty server box when they get into a government job and not have any resources. You don't have that problem at Google or Amazon or anywhere else. Um, and I think having a better uh, general platform will help attract talent. It, it won't require reworking of skills, skill sets, for, for technologists and IT security professionals to come into government. Um, it may also help them attract younger talent, which is one of the biggest challenges for government. You've just got a, a graying of the, of, of the uh, IT security professionals. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it just means that when they retire, you have so many fewer folks um, coming in to replace them. And just one data point, I mean, we looked through the OPM uh, data, and I think overall in government, there's about five and a half folks over the age of 60 who work in IT for every one under the age of 30. So it's and just... Not a lot oh, in wow. between. Not a lot in between. And some agencies are, are really, you know, they, they are far outliers. But VA, for example, it's 19 to 1. So you have 19 people who are going in uh, to being senior citizens versus, you know, folks Ross's age. I'm, I'm 35 now, so I have to... Minus four. Yeah. <laughs> Damn that's kids. a fascinating well, point, though. That's that's really interesting. It, it, we can just, Carton, so you, you and I's job partly is to listen to the publicly traded companies, talk to investors, and they've been 
trying to do some creative things with the workforce also. Well, and then that other aspect, the, the, as Frank said, the, the federal workforce problem has been a problem for almost a decade. And as Ross said, the private companies are competing for incredibly skilled talent, which is incredibly short supply. The numbers uh, in terms of positions open to you know, people available are off the charts. And what is the stopgap that companies and the federal government are looking to replace when they can't get those people? Automation. Out. Do you hire In the context of a security clearance backlog, which is reducing, but still too big for these companies like liking, and a national unemployment rate of 5%, which is approaching what many economists would say is pretty much near zero, effectively. Yeah, and so to power that automation, what do you need? You need a cloud network. Mm-hmm. So, and here we are back to Jedi again. Absolutely. Um, so we, we always ask for listener questions for the podcast, and one of the ones that we got um, is a little bit more like a personal perspective. So you all are, you know, very well-informed and experts in your own right on this topic. And the question is, you know, what has been the most interesting aspect of Jedi from your individual perspective? Like, what do you, what have you found, you know, the most fascinating to cover? Let me go around the room for this one. Carton, do you want to start? Sure. Um, I always feel like as a reporter, you're part bartender's ear and part skeptical in-law. Uh, I like that. And so trying to to navigate these distinct and separate narratives. As Frank said, he got a dossier of you know, very sundry allegations, but then you also had the, the other side of it, you know, whether this was a cabal against AWS. And there was, I don't, I don't think it's unfair to say that there was a lot of perspective and spin out there. Trying to navigate that spin and try to cover this accurately, fairly, and get the 30,000-foot view was one of the things I'll always remember about this contract uh, because you don't get a lot of these competing narratives when you're covering a big contract like this. Most of the time, if you want to figure out what people think, you have to get into the weeds and get into the protests, and you know that's where you find it. But this was all over the place. What was the question again? I got lost and <laughs> Cardin mesmerized me. <laughs> And, um, interesting so thing was it? Most thing, interesting thing from your perspective, like what did you personally find the most fascinating to cover or to follow? Mm, I think probably the fact that you had some of the largest companies in the world, you had uh, them competing for the largest military defense IT contract, I think ever, and right uh, the elephant in the room the whole time was the president of the United States. Um, so those three things, uh, tying them all together, watching it unfold, I know um, those stories drove a ton of traffic for our website. I mean, we had everyone from, um, geez, we had so many marketing people pitching us stories to write nonstop. Um, we had uh, a lot of... Ross are always good. Oh, oh wait, so Ross is rolling his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you pay him. How much you pay him to show up? No, uh, but just there was a, a genuine interest from so many different groups of professionals. And then later on, the general public. Um, we had some stories that went viral on Reddit, which I would never have thought 
uh, we would have that from a, a you know a defense contract. Yeah, you stories that went viral on Reddit about this. That's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, um, Drudge, Reddit, um, all those sites love the content. There was you know, and then there's that battle between billionaires, right? Everyone um, loved we, to. We didn't mention Larry Ellison yet of Oracle, co-founder. Yeah, being uh, a all... part of it. If you listen to the earnings calls with investors that Oracle does, Larry Ellison's all always on there. Guarantee the over-under 1.5 shots he takes against Amazon. It's always the over. Yeah. You had these billionaire owners of those companies, these big personalities, these battles unfolding. Um, I thought that's probably the most interesting. It was also, it, it probably will stay that way for a little while. I know um, I'll be sad if it doesn't because I've always loved <laughs> to be editor when the traffic is just easy like that, you know, easy like Sunday morning. Just do a Jedi story. People will read it. The disconnect between what people perceived of this contract inside the Beltway and how it was perceived outside the Beltway. So part of my job that I've sort of written for myself is being a former analyst and watching the public and companies is figuring out, okay, with people people that are watching the money, it's equity analysts, investors, and other people that watch IT, of which you know, government is one thing, one market that they watch in the context of just what's overall happening because they watch Fortune 500 companies too. Everybody I spoke to inside the Beltway said, oh, this Amazon's got it in the bag, CIA, impact level, Six, which I'm still trying to – I should know what that means, but I'm still reading up on it. You, you get the drift, right? People thought AWS was going to win. IT watchers I spoke to outside the Beltway said, watch out for Microsoft. They, they have just as much a chance to win it. They have the resources. They've embraced the U.S. military being a customer, and they've been in the enterprise and an IT game for almost four decades. When we forget the real winner of all of this is Loudoun County and its data centers. That too. <laughs> mm-hmm. There is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, uh, Frank, you mentioned this, that it was definitely one of your um, most highly read stories. Ross and Carton, did you guys have the same results kind of readership-wise with these stories that you've written? I always joke, if you're a Veep watcher, in one of the early episodes, the, there's a flub made by uh, by Selena Meyer, the main character, and they're saying, well, what do we do about this? And her press guy says, well, what if Tom Hanks dies? I, I felt like there were a lot of what if Tom Hanks dies kind of stories that you would just be going on through your normal week and then there would be a C, uh, Court of Federal Claims appeal drop or there would be Donald Trump getting involved or right at the end, Esper recusing himself because his son worked for IBM. You know, there were a lot of, yeah, a lot of those moments. (laughs) The subtext of Esper's son working for IBM, he didn't join IBM until after the Defense Department made the initial narrowing of bids from four to two, leaving AWS and Microsoft in the end. Yeah, it just, there was so much, as I said before, you thought this was going one direction and you thought whatever matter that was being debated was settled and there would just be a pop twist the other other way. And that would just, it would make your week. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And Ross, for you, did you guys see a big uptick in readership with this? 
saw an uptick, certainly saw an uptick in readership. I have probably never received as many inbound inquiries from other systems integrators and also back to sort of mandated, by mandated WT, investors and equity research analysts that follow the publicly traded government contractors who were specifically excluded from bidding Jedi, just asking, you know, what the heck does this mean for the companies that I watch? They can't, since they can't win it, does that mean that the death of the systems integrator is near? And that might be an exaggeration. But but never before have people actually directly emailed sort of reporters and also sometimes called very loudly to tell us things and ask questions. I will add one thing, too, that I I think this procurement when all said and done, will serve as a, a as a useful use case in a, for a lot of different professionals. For reporters who cover this sort of stuff, it was super unique. For marketers who try to figure out ways to tie their products or their pitches to, you know, it's called we used to call it localizing the news when I worked at a small daily paper when I was starting out, where you take a national issue and then you localize it. You make it relevant for that audience. I found... The, the most effective folks at doing that were the ones that I actually responded to. So when they were pitching stuff and it was like, hey, this actually might have a relationship to this contract that you guys are following. I was like, oh, cool. Tell me a little bit more. And and for consulting as well, I had a lot of people just randomly start conversations talking about this and then you'd get some drinks and then you'd have them talking about the stuff you wanted them to talk about in the first place. Um, so I, I found it to be I find it fascinating, and I think you know even even folks on the legal side, you know, with the strategy sort of that these companies use to try to win this contract, I think is also interesting. You know, Amazon didn't really say much the entire time. Microsoft did it first through industry groups and, and a little bit um, through its sort of corporate uh, media folks, and then shut up and let everyone else fight it out while they sort of tried to retool and build their security authorizations, um, handle things that they, they needed to get their house in order to win this thing. And then you had on the other side these other companies that were just throwing stuff all over the place, taking it to court, taking it to Congress, taking it to their representatives, their lobbying groups, their trade groups, um, and fighting that battle that way. This kind of really had it all, and I guess I'll miss it when it's gone. But then, as Carton said, there's a lot of other stuff on this front to cover. I mean, the whole government will eventually run on a cloud platform somewhere, somehow, in the next probably 10 years. That's just the way the world's going. That's the way the government's going to have to go to get with it. And um, But we've seen from this one, there's a, a lot of stuff that uh, is interesting to lots of groups of people. Yeah, it's tr- truly fascinating. So I know we have to wrap up here in a second, but I guess any final thoughts or you know any other things any other things that you guys want to talk about from any of your perspectives, really? One other interesting element that's been that's happened sort of recently is sort of the government IT integrators that have been that they don't provide the actual hosting infrastructure box, but they provide the services and application development that's wrapped around. Mm-hmm that cloud because that currently the cloud market is hosting and then the services around that. So you don't usually see Amazon or Microsoft really touch the integration, the services and wiring it. 
to make it work. And so the for the adoption, that's where these government systems integrators, they're going to try to cash in for the next few years, given the hordes of data and applications that are going to be moved to the cloud, this this cloud and maybe some of the other ones, big ones that DOD has eventually. Once those things go into the cloud, though, and they just sit there, then what? I don't know. Well, yeah, and the thing you hear all the time, I even hate to say it, it's so cliche, is that data is the new oil. Well, you still have to refine the data. And so I think that's going to be the next market is cleaning up the troves upon troves upon troves of federal agency and DOD data and trying to make it on this network and using it as an asset to you know, fuel those capabilities. I mean, I kind of said my last uh, two cents a minute ago, but I will just uh, be a, a sort of a watchful eye at how it unfolds and, um, you know, how it really affects the the servicemen and women all, all around the world. Um, you know, does this make a marginal impact for them? Does this improve the way we fly planes, sail ships, you know, uh, have subs? Does it in, impact the way that they meet their mission and does it have a positive net effect on national security? I think that will be super important. And I, I, on the boring side, I guess I would, I would see how this is going to, you know, this is more of a Ross type of thing, but how it affects the consolidation of these gigantic companies, right? You, you saw over the last few years, a consolidation of cloud providers in this space because it's expensive. It is a big time investment to build data centers, secure that information, hire the right people. You've seen companies like Verizon and them pull out um, and just kind of forgo that market. Um, and you've seen other ones like AWS, Microsoft swoop in, IBM, wanting that business, knowing that that's where the future of IT is going to be, at least for the near, you know, the near term future. Uh, so I'll be really interested to see how that unfolds and also to see what kind of capabilities it enables. On the AI front, we talked a little bit about that, next-gen weaponry, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I want to see if it's going to turn into some Skynet-type shit, you know, like the stuff that we saw as kids. And will it will it actually do anything like that? Will it be super cool in future? Will it be super boring? I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to find out. Well, um, Carton, Frank, and Ross, thank you guys so much for coming in. I think this was a really informative discussion. Um, all of you have had, uh, you know, really good coverage of the Jedi contract over the past few years, and I think everyone listening should definitely go check out their coverage and then continue um, to follow it as it still unfolds. Um, so you can check Ross out at Washington Technology, and then Frank at NextGov, and then Carton at WBJ. So thank you all so much for coming in today. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Inside the Media Minds. To learn more about our podcast and hear all of our episodes, please visit us at w2com.com slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at Media Mind Show. And you can subscribe anywhere podcasts are found. 